Hello, and welcome to Movies Last Night. Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. I'm a little flustered, but I'm good. Um, <laughs> we'll get into it. Uh, I just this second finished um, the last episode of Midnight Mass and then ran from the TV, set up my laptop, get everything plugged in. I didn't even have a cigarette. That's how flustered I am. And then I uh, sat myself down, pressed record. Do it. Wait, do I need to give you a minute so you can have a cigarette? No, no, I, you know, I should, I should smoke while I record. That'd be fun. Um, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, cool. So yeah, uh, this is going to be an interesting episode for us, I think, cause it's kind of all bets are off on this episode. Um, I don't know if you want to, we could do a little bit of housekeeping. I don't know if you want to fill in the listeners on our change of plans or like what we're going to do this episode. Yeah. Um, well, initially, there was really there there was nothing in the theaters that we could either make on time or I think anything that we were really interested in seeing was there. Um, no, I mean no, other than a uh, card counter, but that what we couldn't make the time. Yeah, we just couldn't make the time for that. Um, so we were we were going to kind of hold off until because everything is. It looks like everything is really kind of kicking off this weekend coming up, and then from there on out, we should be hitting the theaters. I would, I would assume, almost every week at that point. Yeah. So we were just kind of like, oh, what do, you, what do you want to watch? What haven't you seen? What looks interesting? Da 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 da. And um, you know, and I had suggested, well, I haven't seen Zola, and. I remember wanting to see it in the theater uh, when it was out, but uh, my I just couldn't get my times together or whatever the case was. And it's kind of it's kind of somewhat discounted right now, um, or you, you're not paying like high prices. You know, it's like I don't know, five six bucks or something like that. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'm just gonna stream it. I'm gonna watch it. If you want to do it, then then that's fine. We'll go ahead and do that. And uh, we both watched it. And I think we're going to talk about it a little bit, but I think what we mainly want to talk about is the the new uh, Mike Mike Flanagan, um, his Midnight Mass, which just dropped on um, Netflix. Netflix. The, yep. Yeah, this last Friday, I believe. Um, and I I binge watched it like the the day that it dropped. I watched two episodes. And then the next day, I had a I had my day off, and I watched the rest of it. 
the with the rest of my day off. So like I don't know, five or six hours of just watching this show. Um, so I think what we're probably going to end up doing is talking a little bit more about uh, Midnight Mass than we are about Zola. That's my prediction, at least. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Um, last night I was binging, trying to catch up to you. And uh, all I could think about was, because uh, the plan still was, as of yesterday, that we were just going to do Zola today. Yeah. Um, and yeah. all I could think about when I was watching it, I was like, I don't want to talk about Zola. <laughs> I was like, um, I was like, I have more to talk about from the first episode of uh, Midnight Mass than I do about all of Zola. And that's not a knock on Zola. Um, yeah. I mean, it, ki- it kind of is a knock on Zola. But, it kind um, of is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is a diss. But uh, you no, know, I, I, I think it became very uh, obvious to me. I mean, I know that we also wanted to get into a little bit about um, the new uh, Paul Thomas Anderson trailer for uh, Licorice that's Pizza. That's right, yeah. just dropped. yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll touch on that too because uh, I have some thoughts on that, and I kind of want to run it by you. This is fascinating though because it this is kind of like obviously I didn't know what you thought of Zola, um, so we were we're going to going to record and be like find out what each other thought. It's more exciting though because I feel like I am dying to know what you thought of Midnight Mass. Like I mean, itching, <laughs> and I'm also itching yeah. to talk about it because it's like. It's just a whole thing in my brain right now. Um, yeah, so that's yeah. pretty fun. So, do you want to just get a? Do you want to just? Well, let's cover Zola first. Yeah, since yeah. that's uh, um, we, you know, we both watched it. Yeah, I'll, let me uh, let me kind of turn the tables on you because generally, what you do first is so, Eric. What do you think about uh, Zola, or what do you think about <laughs> this movie? I'm going to turn it on you now, uh, since your brain is uh, on high speed right now and ask you what did you think about zola okay so zola um the a24 i think it's an annapurna uh, joint so to speak i don't know if it is i i know it's a24 i'm not sure if it's annapurna or not okay um so that came out i suppose that came out last year oh no it was earlier this year wasn't it yeah it was earlier this year I, um yeah Probably with a very limited uh, theater release, and then I'm guessing it just went straight to demand or like a twenty dollar rental or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. It is based on um, a series of tweets that went viral that this uh, exotic dancer um, called Zola, I believe Zola is a real name. Um, she basically went on this kind of a road trip with this woman that she just met, and then uh, shenanigans took place her series of tweets became viral because it's kind of like reading a thriller if we read the tweets uh all the way down i started reading them and i, I didn't get too much into the backstory of it you know suffice to say yeah. that uh everything to my knowledge because i didn't i didn't do any um extraneous reading on this to my knowledge the movie's events are based on real events that happened so i don't think they embellished anything to my knowledge does that yeah. sound right Okay, cool. That sounds about uh, right. Yeah, yeah. I think that's I think that's how they're going for. Um, and I enjoyed it. It's very short. It's about an hour and twenty, hour and thirty minutes long. Um, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Truthfully, for me, it just kind of depressed me. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where I came out. I mean, I get. I guess that it does have this kind of like, kind of like a biting, almost like uh, sarcastic tone to what's happening and like there's there's like a a very like 2021 hyper aware self-awareness to this project and like 
which is cool. Obviously, I think the filmmakers did a good job. Um, I think the cast's very good. I really love Riley Keough. I believe that's how you pronounce her name. Everything I've seen her yeah. in, I love. I really like her. Um, I like the girl who played, uh, the lady that played Zola. I don't know if this is, she's a new actress. I haven't seen her before, but I thought she was very good. She, she could I do a lot. Say her, I want to say her name is Taylor Page. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Yeah, and uh, I thought she could do, she she did a great job. She's very expressive with her face. Um, like yeah. in conveying like what the hell is going on. So she's like yeah. a good, she's a good surrogate for us in a way like that. Um, I thought it was fine. Like, obviously, the thing that bothered me about it, so I'll not give away too much spoilers, but basically the situation keeps getting worse and worse uh, for Zola on this road trip where she goes to road, on a road trip to Florida with her new acquaintance, played by Radicule, and her boyfriend and her roommate. Her roommate ultimately turns out to be a pimp, and then basically it goes from, hey, we were expecting to make a lot of money dancing on this trip to being, hey, we're going to be basically prostituting. Um, and like, yeah. I just found it like, I know that when you watch crime stories or thrillers or like um, like late night um, road trip movies, there's obviously in in, th in thrillers in Hollywood, there's a, there's like a narrative for these things where like certain things happen. It's kind of, jarring to me though that all of this is actually real and i think that's what depressed me about it because it went from being kind of thrilling to being like Ugh, this is she was actually doing that like that's pretty rough um it's yeah. awful that people have to subject themselves to that to try and make a living especially in in like in this day and age where there's there should be more options to people single mothers like she is there should be more options where she didn't have to turn to that and I'm all for being like sex positive and body positive and what have you. But the whole thing was just kind of gross. And I don't really do well with any kind of like sexual violence or sexual threat in movies. You know me. Um, I, yeah, I, I yeah. won't watch anything like that. So sitting through it, there's a, there's a specific scene which involves like a gangbang, not to give anything. I hate even saying that word um, that I found very, very uncomfortable the movie kind of, I think where the movie fails for me is that I don't get to know any of these characters. They're very one dimensional. Yeah. So Zola is played like she is the innocent bystander. She's like the normal person. And then everybody else is batshit crazy, which is fair enough. Right. Cause I guess we're basing, basing this on her uh, retelling of events. Okay. And how she was reacting. But the problem is, is that the other lady, uh, Riley Keough's character, um, I'm going to try and get her name so I know what her name is. Um, is it Stephanie? She, Stephanie, yes. Okay, so Stephanie, what's unfortunate about Stephanie is Stephanie's just portrayed, I mean, she's well portrayed by the actress, but like, it's just portrayed as like a crazy person. And I feel like she's obviously far more dynamic. Nobody's just a crazy person. Nobody's just a psychopath, you know what I mean? Um like yeah. obviously this woman has probably been abused multiple times. She's like down on a look. Like I feel like the movie's black and white with its characters a little bit in a little bit way that it's, that it ties into what I mean about it being very self-aware. Like it doesn't, it feels too clever for its own good. And it feels too like uh, emotionally, emotionally detached in the same way that like people are on Twitter when they talk about things. It's almost like, I don't know. It, it, it didn't click with me very well. And, and I, and I kind of wish mm -hmm. they'd flesh the character. Cause I, 
I should be able to like at least sympathize or care or empathize or like be concerned for these people. And the movie doesn't really allow them to be characters, but that's because it's an hour and a half long too. And everything happens at such a breakneck speed that it's like, yeah. you don't really get to, you could, I'm not saying you shouldn't drag this out too much, but like there's a lot of shit goes down in that one, one hour and 30 minutes runtime. So mm-hmm. I'm going to say for me, I'd probably give it like a good six out of 10. That's probably where I stand for it. I don't think I'd ever watch it again. I thought the performances were good. Nothing interesting to me about the way it was filmed. I didn't think anything was very dynamic or like um, visually arresting. Nothing auditorially, if that's even a word. There was nothing going on with the sound that was interesting. It was just a decent performance. That's about it. Yeah. I think we're about on the same page. It almost seems like it might have been shot on an iPhone. Almost, you know? Because mm-hmm. uh, it, it kind of had it kind of had that quality to it, um, yeah. I I kind of came away in a similar sense where it was like I really enjoyed the actors and their performances. I didn't care anything about any of the characters themselves. The yep. performances were great. The characters were garbage, right? Because mm-hmm. you're dealing with um, characters individuals who have who have basically either been traumatized are in the process of being traumatized and manipulated or you're dealing with master manipulators so i mean there's no one in this in the story who is who's like quote unquote a good guy the good guy even the uh, our, our protagonist uh zola this is what i was coming away with it is like she it's not like it was in 1980 whatever it was like it's set in modern times during twitter during whatever she had a cell phone the entire time and i'm thinking to myself she because she's saying it the whole time you know i you know no shame on you you do you i'm gonna do me sort of thing if that's if that is the reasoning then you can leave at any time there, yeah. I think there, I mean, at least it, through the movie, I don't know about in real life. I don't know what the situation was in real life, but it, the situation in the movie is those girls are left alone for a, an extended period of time. She could have just been like, okay, I'm going to get an Uber and, <laughs> you know, I, I have, I have a boyfriend who loves me at home. If I don't have the cash to get out of this, you know what? I, we're going to find a way and I'm going to, I'm going to go to the airport and it's just, it's going to be done sort of deal. But, but she in a way almost instigated every, I don't know if instigated is the right word, but she, she kind of pushed everything a little bit forward as well because there, because there was a, a point where she realized the situation she's in and she's like, well, I'm not going to be a part of it, but here, let me help you make more money by by upselling yourself a little bit more and I can make you more money. So basically she's turned her her uh, her short lived friendship uh, and finding out that she was a prostitute and helping her up her kind of prostitute game, even though she judged it right off the bat. Right. Yeah. So it's... she's basically she's basically like pimping out her already pimped out friend you know for, yeah, for a moni- for yeah for a monetary gain so it's like you do you care about this person do you care about really leaving 
or are you hoping to maybe getting a little bit more money out of the situation than than you showed up for? So I just at that point, uh, I was like, I don't care what happens to you now because you've kind of you've shown your true colors, even though you're just kind of you're kind of like, uh, oh, no, I don't want to be a part of it. But I'm still going along with the ride the entire time. And then the the psycho pimp that was with them too, you know, and like I said, I don't know what the situation was in real life. It could have been a way more dire situation where she just didn't have control over her surroundings and what was going on. And, and maybe there wasn't an opportunity to kind of get away, but in, in, uh, in the movie, in the movie sense, there seemed to be all sorts of situations where she could just walk away from it because because as this thing is going on she has her phone the whole time if if she's in a situation where it's it's against her will are these people gonna let her keep her phone to tweet about it the whole time you know or did or did it happen after after the fact sort of deal i don't know i really don't know because i like like you i didn't really kind of dive into that the the history of the whole thing um so that that being said, I was I was kind of put off by by that whole thing. Now I will say this: it, for a movie that is about objectifying women, um, you don't see it, surprisingly, and I think that maybe it was, it was because it was directed by a woman. Um, you don't get a lot of gratuitous nudity of mm-hmm. women in this. I you know. I mean, too. you get. Yeah. yeah, you get some butt you get some butt shots and um but no no like frontal nudity, nothing like that. There's hints of it, but it never kind of shows up. Now what there is is there's a lot of male nudity in here. So <laughs> if you're not if you're not ready for that, you yeah. know, uh then then that might put you off if you don't know about it. I it doesn't bother me that much, you know. Um it just it is what it is, you know. So I, I wasn't really taken aback by the whole situation, but I was like, that's kind of an interesting little reversal there because you're, you're seeing, you're seeing like grossness that, that you weren't kind of prepared for. And then, um, and then the the whole time I'm just like, why, why, why stay? Why, why stay? I know. know. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's one of those movies or like one of those stories where you are like kind of you're doing that the whole time. You're like, just get out, just go, just what are you doing? Sleep. Yeah. Like, yeah, and, and it's funny because I did think about that when I watched it too, like the whole uh, notion of like male gaze um, with the mm-hmm. camera and obviously being directed by a woman, like you're, you're totally right. Like if you had to put this movie in the hands of say like, uh, a lesser filmmaker and like specifically a male filmmaker, then yeah, it would have been like tits out, but uh, um, you know, like it would, but what it did was there's a, there are a lot of shots of the women's bodies when they're dancing, specifically um, Taylor Page when she dances, who she's very talented. You could tell like she, I don't know what her background is, but you could, she must be is some kind of a dancer because you could tell she's like really good using the pole. Whereas Riley yeah. Keough is obviously a great actress, but she's not like, you, you don't see scenes of her like spinning around upside down on the pole. So yeah. what's really interesting is there are a lot of shots of their bodies, um, but at no point is, are the 
is the camera lurid or like leering? The camera is it, when it's showing their bodies dancing. It's to show how like a how beautiful they are, how physically impressive it is. In um, so it's it's like it's almost like kind of giving respect to the women and the women's bodies, and because obviously the whole point of that is you're using your body to make money. You know what I mean? So like. Yeah. Um, yeah. it handles that very very well and like re- like so the, the the best scenes i think visually are those scenes where she's dancing in the club um and then the, they do this cool like uh split uh shot with like four of them in like reverse mirrors kind of and they'll be like hey who, who what version of you are going to be today when she's looking in the mirror um so yeah. there's some cool there's some cool stuff going on with that which i do appreciate and to mention the male nudity yes i totally agree with you because it's almost like on one hand, you have these strong, powerful, beautiful women, um, and then you have the the men. Obviously, with the the male nudity, it's not like we're not showing like Chris Hemsworth here or like some no. some male <laughs> model. It's just like regular dudes, with, like weird looking dicks, and like and yeah. uh, and it's and it. I like how it like it kind of obviously the point of it is to show how kind of pathetic men are because obviously a lot of men are if they're doing this. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So it's kind of I like that. I thought it was fun. It they they do do some pretty fun stylistic stuff. Where like when the scene will change, it'll make the sound of like an iPhone locking, where it goes like that sometimes. Yeah. So they'll use like cell phone um, screen. Uh, sorry, cell phone like um, sound sound clips or whatever, which is pretty yeah. fun. They um, there's one scene where well, it's going. Hear... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say you you you'll hear when like a tweet kicks off or like gets sent mm-hmm. and i i guess that's like oh this is one part where she tweeted out yeah so, isn't that about fun the trip so, so that's yeah, pretty fun yeah. i'll give it that like there's a funny bit too with like where it's showing all of the male guys uh junk and it's like shot shot oh. shot then this one guy has like a really weirdly huge penis and then it'll like yeah. it's like a heart emoji goes up on it on the screen like really quick <laughs> like uh tyler did yeah. style fight club style it's pretty yeah. funny yeah. um so and I think like, so my, I don't like, there's a, there's a, have you seen uh, The Bad Batch? Is it called The Bad Batch? Not the, um... I, I know what you're talking about, but I haven't seen it. Okay, right. So there's this aesthetic that is used a lot in it. What it reminds me of is it reminds me of that um, Vice magazine flashed out um, Harmony Korean Spring Breaker style um, oh. visual aesthetic yeah you know what i mean <laughs> which is very digital very neon very florida very white trash um very yeah. like um detached and almost like um almost like a a lens to look at things that is like hyper stylized by but also kind of like in an ironic way almost um and, yeah and, and it, it's a, infected a lot of movies i feel it, it and i think it because a lot of these people who are making movies came from making music videos so then it's like tied into that whole like um I think his name is Roman Garas, the guy who did the uh, MIA videos. So like this, like yeah. this visual style, like language of these movies that I really don't like. I, I really dislike that. And I don't know why. And I think it's because maybe it was in trend a while back and on Vogue, but like it's cold and I feel like it's artless to an extent because it's, it's very like, um, yeah, that like flashed out vice magazine, American apparel, yeah. commercial style photography which i really i is an aesthetic i just do not like it this movie falls prey to that because i feel like if we're looking through a lens that feels that detached 
in like that like I don't it makes it more difficult for me to like invest in the characters when I feel like it the movie's a little too smart for its own or a little too hip for its own good so yeah. I can't, it, the movie had that written all over it from the beginning so I was kind of like it, I didn't really yeah. allow myself to like it so that's what I think about Zola I'm solid 6 out it, of 10 yeah that, it's crazy that you said Spring Breakers because that's that's the first thing that I was thinking about uh, when this thing ended. I was like, uh, that just kind of smacked of Spring Breakers. That whole that the whole like like visual style and like sense and tone and and stuff like that, where you think you're supposed to be enjoying it, and then it's like, no, there's nothing really enjoyable about any of these yeah. people. So, yeah, I mean, we're we're kind of we're kind of in the on the same kind of wavelength with this one i i would say if you can catch it on a streaming service go for it but honestly i don't it's not really worth six bucks to me no i i don't think it was i i, I think for the six bucks i would rather watch something else i i would have i would have watched it on yeah like on amazon prime on netflix it would be like oh that was fun just to keep up with the with stuff but yeah i don't think it's going to be considered and yeah. like it's definitely not going to be considered in my top 10 or 15 like of the year yeah and i feel like there's going to be movies that i think when it came out it came out in a bit of a vacuum and obviously people hype on it like hyped up on it but i feel like come the end of the year i'd be interested to see where this place is because i just don't think it holds up i don't think it has like it doesn't have like the like a lot of depth to it. That's my opinion. Yeah. I know somebody's probably listening yeah. to this right now being like, you guys are dicks, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, yeah, I think it's a movie of its time, mm-hmm. uh, for its time, but it's, it's just people that have no kind of lasting impression with me. And I, I, I think it's just kind of, it might like have like a little cult following for about a second and then just kind of move on. Yeah. Um, that's my impression. Now let's uh, have a short little discussion about the movie with the weirdest name I've ever heard of. <laughs> <laughs> that, that by watching the trailer, I still have no idea what what that title has to do with the movie. Um, and that's Licorice Pizza, yeah, by Paul Thomas Anderson, which I kind of have a sense that it might be one of the best movies of the year interesting now now we're getting into the conversation because i was i was (laughs) interested to see what you thought based on the trailer now obviously it's really hard to tell a movie based on a trailer pta always has really good trailers the trailer for the master was really good um yeah so oh interesting see for me i i have my doubts yeah okay um so i'll this is this is what i don't like about the trailer okay it's david bowie it's life on mars that's playing isn't it um yeah yeah okay i do not need to see another movie tv show sitcom anything set in the 70s where they use david bowie as a soundtrack i do not need to see it (laughs) it's like lazy as fuck and like he is arguably probably like some people might argue he's the greatest working filmmaker right now right and like, yeah yeah you could argue that and i pro- like yeah he's he's like top top of the top tier pta um i do not i think that's lazy I, unless it's above unless it's above and beyond my like he's doing it on purpose 
Um, but it's, I don't, like, the whole time I'm like, why? I've, like, I've seen, like, it's, like, so much. I've seen stuff just even recently that's using David Byrne. I'm just like, stop using it. Um, so with that that aside, I'm interested with this movie. I'm like, part of me is thinking, is this the movie where people turn on him? Because it's coming. I don't. I don't. It is coming, but I don't think it's going to be for this one. I think, at least for me, um, the only movie that I can think of that was a misstep for him was um, Inherent Vice, because mm-hmm. I that movie put me to sleep. I was completely bored with that movie. Yeah, I mean there was nothing. There was nothing about it that kind of grabbed me, which is really surprising because that cast was incredible. Um, but I really didn't care. I mean, I might, I might look at it again one more time, maybe, because <laughs> I really remember having a a very kind of uh, negative response to it. But everything else, even. I mean, if the master didn't put people off, because that movie is so dense, and and it and it requires so much of you, um, then I don't know. And this just looks like this looks like almost I I don't want to say a return to Boogie Nights, but almost a return to a, a kind of style that that he perfected with Boogie Nights, where. Like you're, you mean like you're No, I'm thinking like like you're involved in this kind of ensemble. Yeah, for sure. And all uh, of this cast and all these people's lives and and so it's not just it's it's not, it's not just focused on one or two characters be it like with um uh like Phantom Thread or There Will Be Blood, you know, where it's where it's like Daniel Day Lewis, and he just eats up every inch of every scene that he's in. Um, but like with Boogie Nights, you have all those little, all those little kind of vignettes and interesting characters and stuff like that. So I think that there, there's like that. It feels like at least that there's that return to to form and that return to style that yeah. people kind of fell in love with. Um, I also like that there's not, it, at least it doesn't seem like uh, there's not a whole lot of stars in this. And yeah. like the, it seems like the main two characters are fairly unknown or at least unknown to me. Um, I mean, I know I saw Sean Penn, uh, Bradley Cooper's in there. And then um, you got a little cameo from one of the Safdie brothers is yep. in there. Yep. Um, I think it's Benny Safdie. But, yeah, yeah, I, th- I think so. I think you're right. Um, but I, I watched it a couple different times. And I was like, I want to watch this movie right now. I'm just in the mood to watch this movie right now. Um, so I'm all in. I mean, I'm all in for it, and I'm I'm really hoping that it's um, that it's success that it uh, it's accessible to uh, to everyone and and kind of hits on everyone's radar i mean he really he really doesn't put out too many bad products oh he's um, never put out a bad view. product yeah he's ne- like he's never yeah. made he's never made anything as bad and like i'm with you on inherent vice like i need to rewatch that movie because i remember not liking it at all um i it's debatable how much attention i paid to watching that movie because it just turned me off when i was watching it yeah um yeah so 
I just think what's what I'm predicting is with this movie is it's either going to be your typical reception to his movie, which is like obviously a lot of a lot of people are going to really really like it. A lot of small like a lot of people in the know are going to be like, oh, it's it's another PTA movie. It's going to be awesome. I've just got this weird sneaking suspicion that he's going to get some kind of clap back or like some kind of like, and I don't know why. I think it's because the 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 Twitter knives were out for Wes Anderson when he put Isle of Dogs out because Wes Anderson went through that run where it was like Golden Boy and then all of a sudden knives were out from over Isle of Dogs. And I've just, I, I've got the feeling the knives are coming for Paul Thomas Anderson. And I think it's because, and I'm going to, if I was a betting man, I I wonder if it's going to have anything to do with like the nepotism or like the the fact that it's like he directs a lot of Haim music videos and then he casts one of the girls from Haim in the in the movie who's not like an mm-hmm. actress of, of like an actress at all to my knowledge and then um he's got Philip Seymour Hoffman's kid as the main role um which is like obviously that's cool but it's like kind of like well it's Philip Seymour Hoffman's kid um so yeah I just now obviously that's not, that, I'm not bothered by that. It doesn't but that doesn't yeah. bother me. But I'm just trying to think of angles where people can start trying to like chip away at him. And I know that sounds like a yeah. weird thing to say, but I just feel like it's coming. And I know it's a that's a really weird thing to say on a podcast. Or even that's a weird thing to expect. <laughs> but I just I don't know. I don't know how long you can be flawless before they have to come for you. Now I'm not gonna say that I think the movie the movie's probably more than likely gonna be impeccable but they're going to try and take him down somehow. Oh yeah. No, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying uh, right there. And it, yeah, it does make sense. Yeah. But um, I, that sun drenched I did, California, like that seventies is just like that. That speaks to me. I've never been to California in my mind. That's what California looks like. It's constantly sun drenched and hazy. It always looks like twilight. You know what I mean? Where they've got that, like, like, I have this vision of like this romanticized vision in my mind of it. That's a lot of the reason why I liked um, um, uh, what's his face sec- uh, second movie, the um, murder mystery thing with um, Andrew Garfield um, under the uh, Silver Lake. Oh, oh, under the Silver Lake. Yeah, 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 yeah. under the Silver Lake. Um, it's I love that like mystical kind of quality that California has in movies. So. And I guess that licorice pizza basically was a record store that existed at the, in the period there. That's, oh, okay. That's what I gather. But yep, yeah, I'm sure. Well, it's not even up for debate. You and I will be seeing this day one, like without a shadow of a doubt. And we will definitely be yeah. doing a podcast on licorice pizza. Yeah. Fear not. I mean, we <laughs> we maybe maybe we'll do a retrospective of his work, you know, because it's been a while since I've seen uh, a handful of his movies, so. Yeah, me too. Um, that could be a fun one. I think it'll be heavy. It'll be hard work, but I think it'll be, it'll be a good one. <laughs> yeah, they're not short. Yeah. yeah they're heavy. So, they're heavy. Yeah. yeah. It's like drinking like six pints of Guinness. One pint of Guinness but is I've... fine, but you do it six, you're like, oh. <laughs> but I've always had kind of a, a a need almost to watch Magnolia again. I mean, I always kind of think of it in the yeah. back of my mind. And I'm like, ah, I should really watch that again, but I, I never do. I never do. So this the might pros- be my reason for it. Yeah, the prospect of watching Magnolia just seems very daunting to me. <laughs> it's like three hours long. Or something crazy. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. 
Okay, so do you want to just get to the main event? Uh, I had quite yeah, an interest. Drum, quite an interest in morning. Yeah. So <laughs> that's just with uh Let's just get into it then. Uh, Midnight Mass by Mike Flanagan. I'm going to reflip the cards back on you, Eric. What did you think of Midnight Mass? Um, initially, what I thought was it was a it was an adaptation adaptation of a Stephen King novel immediately. Yeah. I mean, with, without, <laughs> without doing any research whatsoever, just sitting down and watching it, I knew I would kind of, I would naturally have an affinity for it because he's such a great storyteller um, because he did uh doctor sleep. Correct. Am I correct in that? Uh, yes, he did. Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I really enjoyed doctor sleep. Um, and uh, so I was, I was super anxious to kind of see where he went after that. So after about the second episode, that first episode pulled me in right away. And I was like, what is going on? What, what is this? What this just, it seems familiar almost in a way. And then, um, I mean, and it didn't, it didn't help that one of the characters was reading a Stephen King novel. So maybe that, subliminally like did that to me um but it was like it was like those character studies you're getting those character studies and and all this uh madness was kind of happening in a way and like these these bad situations and and everything were happening and i was like man it just feels like i've 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 read this or something like this before and um so I watched the second episode and I was like, oh, yeah, you just give me more, give me more of it. And, um, the next, the next day I finished the series. I completely binged it. I spent my entire day on the couch. I mean, that thing about Netflix is it doesn't give you a second to breathe before the <laughs> next one kicks in. Yeah. It just plays and, like, it. <laughs> it just does really. And, uh, that might be predatory. I'm not sure. <laughs> but <laughs> um <laughs> uh but it's like every episode ended in such a way where you're like you can't do that you cannot do that so uh i just got sucked in i was like i'm just gonna finish it and and i i had forgot that you were working later on the that monday and I was because I, I had it in my head. Oh, we're gonna podcast. We're gonna talk about Zola, and I was like, oh, I'm not gonna have time to finish this. I'm gonna have to wait till later in the week. And then you're like, No, uh, we'll do it tomorrow. And I was like, Great, because I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna finish watching that. So I another two hours just down went down. So, um, so after the second episode, I looked. I looked into, um mike flanagan and what he was doing and it turns out and i just went to wikipedia it turns out he was going to adapt revival uh in a to film and revival was a stephen king novel about a preacher who comes to a town and has these kind of charismatic revival uh uh type shows I mean, but it's all based around the, you know, like uh, charismatic uh, uh, Christians and like that whole yeah. theme, and mm-hmm. then and then stuff goes horribly wrong, sort of deal. I was like, 
what? So so I was thinking to myself, oh wait, is this the adaptation? Is this what we're is this what we're watching? And it just kind of flew under the radar sort mm-hmm. of thing. But it, but then reading further in that, it was like, no, that that whole thing got scrapped. So I'm like, is so is this just a like almost? It, it was stuck with him so much that he just had to go in a different direction with it. I didn't know what was going on because it almost seemed like how how did how did like Stephen King not get involved and say like yeah this kind of smacks a little bit of something that I wrote you know almost like a plagiarism in in a way but maybe it's so different that that uh, it was it was fine to to like send to to series and i think uh stephen king uh, i believe watched it and gave it his, his praise and said it was it was you know a terrifying romp or whatever you know so i'm like well he got his blessing but the entire time i'm thinking this is just this is a untitled stephen king product right now because it's like it it, it had it had all those kind of classic tales it had the maybe one of the best villains uh, in TV history uh, to a certain point, which was uh, Bev Keen, which is oh, a wow. self-righteous yeah, um, so good. lady. Like, from, from the get, you're just like, when is she going to get it? When is she going to get it? Because she <laughs> and I is... I want to see her unbe- get it. <laughs> yeah, she is unbearable. Unbearable, this woman. Yeah. Um, and uh, oh, so we're we're probably going to spoil certain certain things about this show. So just right off the bat, you know, go watch it, come back and listen. So, um, but we'll try and give you a heads up as much as we can. Um, but the thing about it, it, it's not like there's a lot of action going on uh, the entire time. There's little set pieces like uh, when the when the uh, preacher or minister goes to Jerusalem and you get that nice little set piece and you get that kind of backstory of what happened. Um, that was awesome. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, for the most part, it's may it's usually just uh, one or two, sometimes three people in a room having a conversation, talking about, you know, what's, what's going on in their lives or how they're dealing with, with past traumas or how they're, how they're trying to wrestle with their faith and then not having faith. And then sometimes it's different faith, you know, Christianity and Islam, uh, and how that, the debate is going back and forth and just this interaction on this Island, because it's not like it's a big city where you're having to deal with big city problems. It's set on this kind of little one-off little Island of this community that's basically dying you know, it's like it's a slow death that's happening, mm-hmm. um, and like each episode is a, is a book in the Bible, and and each episode is kind of about what that book is about. Um, so that that's kind of an, a really kind of interesting storytelling mechanism that happens there. Um, if you have any kind of Bible knowledge, you'll 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 uh, you'll be able to maybe kind of tie some things in there. Um, it's not necessary, but it's it, it might be like a little bit of like you know little meta for you, um, but there's there 
there are a lot of scenes where it's just two characters just going back and forth and really kind of um, playing off each other and really and really it really gives them it, it's almost like one-off plays in, in a way where where you're getting to kind of see this this play happen and like how they how they kind of bring in emotional things and it, and it really kind of um, it almost transcends what's going on in the room in a way um, and the emotions of what it what it might what it will be to to bring a child into the world and but also having it to experience the trauma of childhood yourself and, and that whole experience and how will that transfer you know to from one character to the next um and so you have all this you have all this kind of great um television drama that's happening that uh i don't think that you normally get from a series but then to top it off it's a supernatural horror that you just that it that it's just it's so crazy and when 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 stuff starts kind of going on you're like you're putting little pieces together like oh this person's doing this oh i i see what's happening here why why this person is acting a certain way or a spoiler big spoiler big spoiler um so some characters start to get younger and younger and younger and you're like well how is this happening and then you're and then you kind of get that reveal you know that that the the minister brought basically brought back a vampire from jerusalem (laughs) to this island with his with his but his 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 perception is is twisted in a way to where he doesn't see it as a um as a vampire he sees it as an as a life-giving angel um because that's how how when he was dying that's what he saw uh that's how his that's where his mind went to because he was already his mind was already being ravaged by time um so that's just his perception as as he's kind of dying and coming back um and i thought it was super interesting like and it's one thing that i really love about when when storytellers do this it's like they 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 give you a monster they give you all the telltale signs of that monster, but they never tell you what that monster is. So at no point does anybody on the island say it's a vampire. It's yeah. never that. It's mm-hmm. it's always oh it's this miracle that is happening, you know, sort of deal. So everyone kind of buys into it, and then you get this, you get this, like this crescendo in this in this this great ending that happens um because it ends with like the 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 book of revelation where all like all this the chaos happens and you know all all that uh basically the end of the world um and i thought it kind of it ended perfectly yeah i mean it, it killed off a certain character dies off that you're like no way there's there's no way that person can go and then, then it's like, oh, okay, yeah, you you got the the kind of the rug pulled out from under you, and then it and then it was like, oh no, not really. But then the next episode is like, oh no, really, they're dead. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> it was like, oh, you did it to me twice. How dare you? <laughs> um, but I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I really did enjoy it. I, I think I just got really kind of sucked into the whole um, dramatic play uh, aspect of it. There's um, There was a movie by Steve McQueen. I believe it was Steve McQueen called Hunger. Um, and it was a few years back and it was with, um, oh, why, why, uh, Michael, uh, Michael Fassbender. Okay. I'm going to look it up. And, uh, yeah. And then, uh, the, the other character was, um, I wish I could remember his name right now, but he played, uh, sir davos and the game of thrones um yeah but but there is this scene in the middle of this movie where it is two characters sitting at a table having a conversation and it's about 17 minutes long and it's some of the most kind of gripping drama that you've ever seen on screen before but it's just these two talking and just telling their telling their story back and forth and and their experience of um i think it was uh uh ireland at the time during during yeah. um i just checked if yeah it, during yeah it's um yeah. set during yeah, in ireland um it tells the story of bobby sands who um yeah went on a hunger strike in prison hunger strike. um and he was ira i believe yeah he was he, and went on hunger strike in prison and then um it's yeah it's based on that story so true story yeah 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 but i i guess uh bassbender and the and this other oh, i wish i could remember his name um they kind of shacked up for a while before the movie just to kind of concentrate on this one scene and it's just the two of them playing off each other, off their experience, their characters, and they just they nailed it. And and that kind of stuck with me the entire time. And so there there are certain parts of, of Midnight Mass where where it's like it's just two characters and they're they're like acting wise, they're just duking it out back and forth and just kind of one person is is having has is kind of taken over the conversation and then it shifts to the other and it's just this great back and forth that happens um in particular there's uh great scenes with the with the uh the minister and then the main character when when they're doing kind of an aa session and there's just these great kind of back and forth that happen in there both of those actors just just amazing amazing jobs um but I mean, I have spoken way too long on this, and I, I kind of want—I kind of want to give the reins over to you and kind of get your impressions of it. Okay, yeah, no worries. I mean, I uh, suffice to say, I think Midnight Mass is it parts. I think some of the best television, like made. Period. Like regardless of genre. Like I think it's. Um, it could stand up alongside any of the, the big greats of like TV. I don't know much as funny as this is a movie podcast. And we're talking about TV, but if yeah. it's just like a long movie, it's just a long, it's like a seven hour long movie really, um, yeah. <laughs> which is all prestige television is, you know, it's just like a long form movie telling. Cause it's like, 
like storytelling of like because it's the same production values like the same you know what I mean level of like uh, attention to detail it's just an elevated extended movie really um, I think it's I think it's kind of phenomenal in parts I think there's some there's some out outrageously good performances specifically by um the 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 big bad which is bev keen played by samantha sloyan i guess her name is uh who i'm unfamiliar with i haven't seen her in anything else um yeah. her name uh, so her face is a little familiar but i couldn't say like oh i know where she's from and then um so obviously she plays have you seen um the mist yeah i have you know there's that crazy woman um in the mist too um, who kind of, it's, I forgot who plays it. It's an English actress plays it. She's really good anyway. But like, she gave me that kind of energy where she's this kind of like, she's kind of like Uber Karen. She's like the most dangerous Karen on face of earth. You know what I mean? She's like, yeah. <laughs> she has that kind of like, let me speak to the manager kind of like vibe about it. And, but she's also got yeah. like this terrifying, like religious, like, um, fury inside of her, like this, like self-righteousness that's like. It's yeah. like all uh, in sh- her performance. You can see it. It's like she's like, it's it's kind of like the writing for her is incredible, and like her performance, yeah, incredible. Um, mirrored w- with um, Father Paul, um, who is played by Hamish Linklater, um, who I yeah I recognize too. I'm like, if we had have had time and we were doing like a proper rundown in this episode, I could have done the research and found out where all these people are from. But like I said, I just finished it like two seconds before we press record. So he yeah. he has this really weird like off kilter, off like off rhythm delivery when he speaks. And it's like, it's really cool. And it's like at first, like his diction and like the way he speaks is a little bit irritating. Or at least it was to me where I was like, just spit it out. And he's got this kind of like, I don't know, it's like something like off about him, the way he's like delivering this, but it's actually really, really cool. And like he's his his performance is stellar too. I think that they're the two heavyweight performances. I think everybody else does phenomenal work all the way down, but I feel like they're the two yeah. linchpin performances, which the movie, like, yeah. which the show hinges itself on. Um, so interesting what you said about this, you thinking that this was a Stephen King adaptation because obviously Flanagan, we know has done a ton of Stephen King adaptations and King is kind of like really cool with Flanagan. So he's like, he was cool with him fixing The Shining or like working, like, I don't know, like crossing that bridge with Dr. Sleep between incorporating Kubrick's vision and King's vision. And I guess King was cool yeah. about it too. Because by the sound of thing, King sounds like a total asshole. Um, so that <laughs> I think, so Flanagan is the boy. He's the, the wonder boy for King right now. Like the King revival is being led by Flanagan. I think Flanagan is an exceptional director. I've seen most of oh, his yeah. stuff and most of his Netflix things. I'm not 100% there on board for a lot of the Netflix stuff. Like, I didn't really like Gerald's Game very much, and there was one or two ones that I didn't particularly care for. But Doctor Sleep, when that came out, that was one of my favorite movies of that year. We, you and I went to see yeah. it. I thought it was phenomenal. I, I just kind of want to rewatch it again because, like, this has got, like, this is, like, peak Flanagan right now. So we've got, like, a lot of the... that that storytelling skill and like craft and technique that he, he kind of honed in Dr. Sleep is started to be like echoed in this, the TV stuff because Haunting of Hill House and the Blind Manor, um, both on Netflix, um, were like this build up to, to where we are now. You know what I mean? 
and in, in my mm-hmm. opinion for him in like the fact that he wrote it and I and I did briefly read something about this before I started watching it and they were talking about how a lot of this is to do with his battle with alcoholism which is funny because Stephen King mm. famously battled alcoholism too hence The Shining and Jack Torrance sitting at the bar and what have you um which was inspired by Stephen King sitting at the bar in the hotel being like you know what I mean I like I need a drink um yeah. So Flanagan has issues with alcoholism, apparently, which is interesting because this movie does play with the idea of thirst. Uh, so thirst for both um, addiction, like, the, and then also the thirst for blood, which is kind of like a metaphor for like addiction too, like this constant hunger that these supposed, I guess, vampires have. Um, so it's playing like with like a lot of a lot of themes of that. And I don't know about you, Eric, but were you are you were you raised religious? Were you Christian growing up? Or are you Catholic? Uh, no, Christian. Okay, so I was raised Roman Catholic. I was an altar boy um, for most of my yeah. youth. So this this uh, midnight mass hits real hard for me because having been an altar boy and having been raised Catholic, um, and like I would spend time in church with with um, um, our priest was called Father McKnight. Um, he was a really cool guy actually in hindsight. But I mean I. I do mass and I do like um the whole the whole nine yards like the incense body all all the whole thing, um so it's interesting I I love stuff like this because it also like it I grew up in that kind of environment not to the extent that some of these characters on the island take their faith where it's like very very like fundamentalist. But like I definitely yeah. grew up going to church. I have to go to church. I go to midnight mass. I've been to midnight mass. I. I would actually serve at midnight mass. I'd be an older boy from. So like my childhood is a lot like the, the, these characters are growing up with that. And I think what happens when you're Catholic too, and I can't speak for everybody, but like when you're raised Catholic, it kind of fucks your perception of guilt. Um, obviously for mm. obvious reasons. So it really plays with the notion of guilt, but that you never ever shake it. You never leave it. I'm an atheist now, but like I still have that like crushing Catholic guilt. And obviously, guilt plays a lot of part in this because the main character, uh, who uh, basically has returned to the island, his name's Riley Flynn, played by Zach Guilford, who does a good good job too. Um, he mm-hmm. returns to the island because he, he kills uh, a woman in a drunk drunk driving accident, and then basically his career tanks. He gets sent down. Serves his time, goes back to the island where he came from, the island that everybody's desperate to get away from, this um, collapsing, like you said, fishing village, fishing island that is basically in financial ruin. It's kind of becoming like a ghost town. So he goes back. So he's dealing with the guilt that he has for for, for ac- accidentally killing that woman because he was he's drinking. So you've got that Catholic guilt there. And you've got his father's guilt because his father is finding a difficult having Riley returning home because he's like, he feels, his father feels like he's failed him. That's how Riley got in a situation where he's an alcoholic and he killed that girl. So you got the father's guilt. And then you have all these characters just with this crushing guilt that is very Catholic. And it's like, it's speaking to me on a lot of levels because I'm like, yeah, that's that's me. That's basically me. Obviously, I haven't killed anybody. Like, at least I don't think I have. But um, I love love how it's playing with those themes in this, there's a couple of episodes we'll get into spoilers in, in a bit, but like there's a couple of episodes specifically where I think it's episode five, which I guess is the big standout one where they, um, Riley gets turned into a vampire spoilers. Um, and then he sits down with, uh, the father, the priest, 
and um, Bev comes in and they're basically trying to be like, okay, this is what's going on. You've you've been turned. And he's trying to basically sell this this transformation and under the belief that the father, the priest has, that it's like this kind of religious, um, this is God's work that's happening rather than it being some nefarious force. Basically, it's like a demon. It's the total opposite of what they think it is. Um, and, yeah. and the acting in that and like the sermonizing between... Bev's character and him and, and like where they're like selling this to Riley they're like trying to like bolster and like like reinforce his faith it's just amazing Eric it's like you mentioned the fact that it feels like a play it, a lot of the a lot of the scenes in this show play play no pun intended like a play like a stage play where you just have two actors and the performances are so elevated so good the writing is so good the use of religious scripture and like him using and pulling in things from uh, the Bible and then dropping it in and characters dropping them in and like to also like explain what's happening, but also as like to use as like analogies for things that happen. It's so clever and it's so densely written and like, it's, 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 it's excellent. Absolutely excellent. And like, I believe that the show starts the first two episodes, I think are the weakest first episodes the weakest mm. because after the first episode i was like you was just like this is a stephen king this is stephen king like which is fine i'm down for it i'm always down for like spooky islands i'm down for like um big storms you know you have the big storm and um uh, big in episode two and you're like oh well this is just gonna be like storm of the century um yeah and then, so it has a lot but of then that go- yeah, yeah that goes away though <laughs> yeah totally and then and when it does go away and then it, when he kind of like frees himself from a lot of the Stephen King tropes and shackles, like I feel like that's when the show takes just starts to breathe. And then it's just like, you get sucked in and then you're like, I like committed to it. And this also, this isn't a knock on Stephen King, but this show also doesn't suffer from Stephen King syndrome where it doesn't get too fucking ridiculous by the end. Like in it, in like, yeah, they, they managed to wrap this story up. We'll get into this in spoilers in a way that's like very satisfying and very rounded and complete without it devolving into like, you know, like insanity, like a lot of King stuff does. So, um, I mean, for me personally, I think it's the, probably the best thing I've seen all year. And like if, if, if I could count it in my top 10 movies of the year, if I could count it as a movie, it would be the best thing I've seen all year. Hands down. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, I'd watch it again in a hoppy. Like I'm going to watch it again. It's so good. Um, but so that's my initial, like, just get it off my chest, you know, like go for it. So, um, <laughs> that that's my initial, just finished watching it an hour ago. Yeah, for sure. So like, <laughs> I think, I think it's excellent. 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 Uh, there's, um, just a lot of really good stuff. He does, uh, Mike Flanagan classic, um, so in The Haunted of Hill House, there's a whole episode that's more or less a one-shot, like a wanna, as they call them, where it's in the funeral home, and they keep going. Yeah. It's where they're all sitting there and the body's in the casket. The uh, He has a couple of good wanas in this. There's, in the first episode where Riley walks his, like, um, his Erin um, Green, played by Kate Seagal, she's like his like childhood sweetheart who he re- reunites with on the island. He walks her back home from church, and that's all a wanna all the way around through the village which is really cool. Uh. And then the beginning of season two, uh, episode two, where they're on the beach and um, 
uh, it's post the storm. All the storms happened, and then there's all of those uh, dead cats on the beach. Um, that's all oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the camera's just going around them and around them. And this is like a Mike Flanagan trademark at this point now. But um, the perform like for the actors to be able to perform like that during these extended shots with such vocal like dialogue heavy scenes is like the performances. Yeah, stellar. It's a shame that the Emmys already happened, but like this show should be nominated for a bunch of stuff, which I feel like it's not going to be. And I feel like this show is going to be overlooked is Stephen King, pulpy horror, which it is not. It is definitely not. And I feel like, yeah. So that's, um, we've both given our, um, I feel like I've taken an Adderall or something. We both, we both give it our first, um, thoughts, feelings, impressions, um, we can open it up. I, I think we weren't very spoilery there. I don't think we got into too much spoilers, but like this will be going out. Let's just spoil the shit out of it. Like there's <laughs> some things I want to talk to you about that happened that like I want to talk to you now. I don't want to talk to you about it at work. So like, yeah, let's just yeah. get it out of the way with. So yeah. from now on in, spoilers, stop if you want to watch the show. Um, okay, cool. So what did you think of the ending? Um, the ending was very... Um... It, w- it was like part 30 Days of Night, part Stephen yeah. King. Um, I I would say I was satisfied by that ending. I was satisfied in a way with the death of Bev King um, because it's like I wasn't I wasn't uh, all the way convinced that she had um, turned in the and be- kind of around the beginning or earlier on because they never really showed it so um i never really assumed that she kind of did it you know like drank the uh, the poison and then came back to life sort of deal um but then after like she was shot and then she comes back i was like oh okay um because I-, I figured well she's just too much of a coward to to kind of do it yeah. um but it there's a out, scene where, where yeah, she, like, she you know, after they, yeah, because you know when they think she poisoned the dog, which she blatantly did. Yeah. Um, the there's a scene where something else happens, and she goes back to that that place, and she puts back another bottle of poison. Yeah. Like yeah. Um, on the shelf, so she probably did it to herself then. Then. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Um, uh, no, because she goes out in the daylight, so she hasn't. She goes out in the daylight right until the end. Yeah, until right. the so her getting shot was her getting transformed not yeah. taking the the, the kool-aid which is yeah. very like um, <laughs> uh, you know what i'm talking about anyway but yeah <laughs> go ahead <laughs> um but i th- i think the ending is kind of the, is the payoff that some people are going to want um i didn't i didn't necessarily i don't know that i necessarily needed it but it didn't bother me you know um mm-hmm. that's how i feel yeah, I mean, I I can kind of see how it was going, how it was gonna kind of go down. Um, I like the the whole the meetup at, at the at the church at that last kind of at that last meetup with the whole town going, and they kind of they make it to where no one can get off the island. Everybody has to go there because it's it's gonna happen. Um, I like it when the vampire shows up and and uh, everybody's kind of reaction to the whole thing. Um, I mean everything, everything, every part of that kind of really smacked of Stephen King to me. I could, I could just see that on the page, 
as he was playing it out. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't, I didn't pick up on the big twist uh, kind of at the end um, that, that they kind of almost foreshadowed from, from the beginning in a way that um, that the, the minister and then the, the mother of the daughter, that, that, that the doctor on the island, that that was their daughter. I didn't put it together. Yeah, I, I I didn't put it together. I didn't. Um, I didn't at all. Because it was like they all had like super dark hair, you know. Because mm-hmm. the because the mother starts out as this kind of elderly, uh, gray, dying woman basically, and and it was like he never missed an appointment to do mass with her, and he's like feeding her that blood the entire time, and I was like, that's mm-hmm. so that's so ingenious. That and when when he when basically he's feeding everybody on the island that that blood and it's it's like reversing it's reversing all the the damage that's been done to them over time and no one puts it together I was like that's so ingenious that's so ingenious to to kind of introduce that into the the population in that way where everybody's gonna mm-hmm. like take the sacrament and. Uh, and the only person who really doesn't is is um, Riley and and maybe uh, that town alcoholic and maybe a couple a few other people who don't that you're not introduced to, um, but it's it just it's super interesting. Um, I, I mean, what what did you think of the ending? I mean, was it satisfying to you, or was it a little bit too kind of horror movie ish? Yeah, I mean, like it's funny you said thirty days a night because it is it. There, there's a lot of thirty days a night about this, and in, in in a sense that like the portrayal of vampires is a it's a vampire movie without being vamp without without them literally saying the word vampire. Yeah, which at some point you would think. Now, I was having this discussion in my head when I was watching. You would think at some point somebody would be like, "That's a vampire." Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> that sounds very vampirish. Like he puts his hand outside in the sun and it burns. And everyone's just like, oh, yeah, well, it must be something in his blood that's making him burn. It's like, oh, he could just be a vampire. Like, <laughs> like, no, at no point anybody was like vampire, which I thought was interesting. So I don't know in that universe vampires don't exist or if they're so caught up. Or what if it's a case of that you, um, when something like this happens to you, your brain is trying to rationalize it so much that you wouldn't assume it's that the, it, it, it could be something like a because it's so far-fetched. Your brain is like, well, it's not a vampire. So it must, you know what I mean? Like your brain is like, that's why yeah. nobody's saying vampire because everybody's like, well, it can't be vampires. But if they can believe in God, but they can't believe in vampires. So I'm yeah. like, mm, you know what I mean? <laughs> so um, I'm going to get canceled for that. Anyway, yeah. so uh, ending-wise, I, I like the ending. I thought the ending tied it up. It I didn't need it. I feel like for me, the show peaks at the end of episode six where basically you have that kind of stellar scene in the church where everybody starts getting killed and it's like very like um, Jonestown, um, drink the Kool-Aid, everybody starts dying and then they, they start feeding on the rest of them and it basically just starts to cycle into this like shit show, you know what I mean? Like keeps yeah. it getting worse and worse yeah. and worse. I thought like it was like once the, the show hit that point, like I knew what was going to happen in, in a way, like I knew like that was the resolution that I needed 
to see Bev go full crazy, to see the the climax of like, hey, everybody's just straight out turned into vampires now. Like that's where I had the rounded. So the payoff at the end where you see the two kids getting away from the island yeah. in the island burning and like it was just a it was a tidy way. It was wrapped up tidily. It was nice. I didn't it didn't like kill me the ending and like but it definitely did not piss me off. So it was like I think it was a good way of ending it without being like too like either sensationalist or like uh, too contradictory to what had happened before because it just ended the way it should end naturally. Yeah. Which is like, you know, the, the innocent ones get off the island, the two kids. Um, everybody else who's guilty of something all basically perishes. Um, and then I, I thought it was kind of fun how they played around with like her hubris of being like, everybody will come to the church, just burn the island. And yeah. then she's basically just fucking herself because at the end, then when when they do burn down the church, it's like shit. And then everyone's like, "Yeah, you burnt down everything. You yeah. kind of screwed yourself." <laughs> there's so, no, there's nowhere to go. You burnt everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, and it, but isn't that just like people like her though? Like the hubris to think that they know exactly like God's plan, or like I can like like she she represents what's frustrating and wonderful about her as a character. She represents everything that I dislike about the church. Or yeah. like religion, organized religion. She, she is basically like the sounding board for that, that like that like I can like ah uh, God will forgive you. Like I don't need a human being to tell me God will forgive me. God can tell me Himself. You know what yeah. I mean? Because yeah. all you're doing is you're making yourself a mouthpiece for God, and I, that's why I don't like religion because I don't think anybody should be a mouthpiece for God. You know. So that that aside, like that's why that's what's so wonderful about it, and like. So she, yeah, the ending yeah. I thought was good. Yeah, she was she really eats up those scenes. Like, I mean, every time that she was on that she was on the on the screen spouting off her her self righteousness and like her kind of above everybody else uh, demeanor, like she knows best sort of thing. I was like, oh, I mean, you have to know that that you that you really kind of tapped into something when the when someone is watching and is just like, Oh, well someone just please just do her in something, something has to happen. And know, it's right? like, it is like, you don't get that payoff until the very last scene of the very last minute of the show where she's just like screaming into the sun. Um, because she's, because basically she knows that, uh, like what was told to her at, at a certain point was like, you're not a good person. You've never been a good yeah, person. Wasn't that, wasn't and that I, a good way to deal with her character? Like, oh, yeah. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, because it, if you physically attack her, it's not going to mean anything to her um, mm-hmm. because she's so self-righteous and, and like, and is above it all. So the only way that you're really going to get to her is to be like, you, you've never been a good person. You know, everybody realizes that sort of thing. And, kind of attacks her her kind of uh achilles heel yeah 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 exactly um i mean but what a great villain what a great villain but that's i like that's that's just like a stephen king villain like 101 that's like yeah i mean no definitely there's a lot of like there's a lot of stephen king tropes throughout this um which i'm fine with Um, yeah i'm fine uh you know and i and i do like that i like how she said that like the thing that gets you is that you you can't believe that you're just as loved by God as everybody else is. And that fucking killed me because that's so true of these people where it's like, like 
the belief that the 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 more righteous that they are, like the more God's going to love them. But like the fact that they can't handle the fact that God in theory would love people who don't believe in him just as much. He would love people who are like tall assholes just as much. And like, I love that, like that when she talks to her with that kind of like reasoning and like logic that that's what kills her because deep down inside she, she is so, she can't accept the fact that like, she can't accept God's message because she thinks God's message should be based on a, a tiering system of worthiness. And like, yeah, it's yeah. so true. It's the, the, the show's a really good take on religion whilst being respectful of religion too. It's like it, it, it plays like at no point do I feel like this was a manifesto by an atheist trying to get me to not believe in God anymore. I felt yeah. like this was a, a movie about somebody who probably was raised Catholic or raised religious, who was struggling with religion. Like all of us struggle with religion and especially in like the, the way the world is now. And I feel like it, it paid homage to religion in, in, in the act of like uh, worship and service and duty. But it also, it also opened up the, it, 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 it like held a mirror up to it too and says okay well that's that's all well and good but this is the ugly side too which i thought was really cool like i really like the fact that the sheriff is yeah, uh, yeah. muslim um and i i him speaking about his faith i thought was fascinating when he was looking he was talking about how muslims see christians uh, yeah. i thought it was really well well written um i thought it was a really good inclusion um so like and then you know what else i thought was a really good scene eric you know huh. when they they're talking about uh, Riley's talking to um, what's her face, um, Aaron, and he's like, "What do you think happens after you die?" Oh, he, uh, yeah, I was just, yeah, speech. I was just gonna bring that up. I was like, "What about those two characters who talk about what happens when you die and how they kind of oh, break God, break down?" Me. Yeah, they one one person breaks down, okay, a clinical death, and then the other person brings like talks about that spiritual death that happens, and it's just. Man, the writing, the writing was so good. Dude, the writing's so good because just in that bit there, what's fucking awesome about that is he, yeah, he, Riley as an atheist breaks down like your you, you neutrons firing off in your brain and like the literal, like the death of the body, right? And then immediately she she starts talking about, she says, I'm not going to speak for myself, but I speak for my, um, she miscarries. Um, so she's talking about her daughter who died. And then the way she talks about heaven and love and feeling loved and being with loved ones. And you know what's crazy is when I was watching it, I'm an atheist. So when it, he was talking about why he believed happened after he died, I was like, I was like, yeah, that's what I believe too. But like, I could feel myself being like, like as a person who is an atheist, I could feel myself being like, God, that's so negative. That's so <laughs> negative what I believe. And like, but I, I, I'm agreeing with him, but it's like, I'm so nihilistic. Yeah. And then like immediately when she starts talking about what she believes as a Chris, as, as a religious person, it immediately sold religion back to me, which is what exactly, that's such good writing because it's yeah. like, this is why people believe like, in like, it's, it's, so it's like, it's, it's, it's it's playing both sides of the coin and it and it took me on a journey as an atheist to be like oh wow i like what she believes it you know yeah, what i mean like i want to yeah. believe in that and like so it's like showing you like literally in one scene between two people talking about something that a lot of people have conversations like that you know what i mean a lot of partners do a lot of close friends do in that one little piece of writing the scene was probably like 20 minutes long it literally sold religion to me yeah, and, it, and, it, yeah. and it, it explained why religions there, and explained why people believe, and like um, that, the dude, that's killer writing. That's killer, killer writing. Yeah, yeah. 
You know, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's it's so it's so crazy that you know we're, we were we were kind of we we're gonna talk about uh or we were gonna talk about Zola. We we're gonna do one about Zola, and it's like eh, no, let let's let's do this one because it's it's like it's so much more fascinating. It's so much more fascinating. Oh yeah. Um, what about the uh? What did you think about the kind of horror aspects of it, uh, as far as or the supernatural? Oh, yeah. Do you, I mean, did, I, did you did you like the way that they handled it, or um, because it wasn't really, it, in my opinion, it wasn't it wasn't at the forefront, you know, where you kind of they give you little glimpses in the in the earlier episodes of something kind of um, being on the outside, like. You you'll get like there's a handful of jump scares almost, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean you know how I feel about jump scares, and and this it, it was it wasn't bad. I mean it it was it was almost typical, but it wasn't it was forgivable in a way. Um, yeah, I think I think that's how I feel too. I feel like he didn't overuse it, so then it, it got a pass. Like it, it was effective when it when it needed to be in there. Like yeah, like yeah. The, like the horror element of it. You know, yeah, I agree with you there. Yeah, totally. I, yeah, you really didn't get. I, I love. I love the use of um, like when they go to that island that has all the stray cats, and then you and then you they flashlight, and then there's like these two sets of eyes that are li- a little bit higher oh, up yeah. off the ground than they should be, and then they disappear, or you get like little silhouettes in the distance that are kind of out of focus, and they just kind of disappear, and you're like, oh, what was that sort of deal? But the but I think the main thing is you get caught up in these in the story of of this kind of this atheist coming home to this very kind of religious community and how having this supernatural occurrence that happens because they they also play it off as like these miracles are happening, uh, but but we all know that there's something more kind of like you said something a little bit more nefarious that's going on but even the the main character who kind of was the catalyst of the whole situation he didn't do it with any kind of nefarious intention he did it mm-hmm. because of love basically he did it out of the the um the need for to kind of have a an a, to to reinvest his life to this kind of unrequited love or this, this love that never kind of got a chance to get off the ground in a way um, on this, in this little community. And that, and that was his whole reason for kind of, for bringing this vampire back on this, on this Island was so, and then I don't even, he never saw it as that. I mean, I shouldn't say that a vampire, but he never saw it as that thing. He saw it as something completely different. He saw it as like this thing that would bring a miracle and 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 bring this community back to life, but even more so, it's like he he could kind of uh, go for that kind of love that that he kind of yearned for the, his entire life, basically, as, as they were both at the end of their lives. And um, yeah, totally. It, it was it was like so. It, it there were so many kind of different levels to this that. Uh, that I'll be really interested in, in kind of revisiting it. Yeah, I'm gonna have to give it some time because, I, like I said, I, I binge watched most of it in one day. Um, mm-hmm. So, 
uh, I'm going to give us some time to kind of pass. I, I might go back and, and like you said, watch Dr. Sleep again. Um, or I, I might actually watch uh, the his other television shows that I didn't watch, which was the the Haunting at Hill House and, and what the other one was Bly Manor. Yeah. Oh, you didn't see Hill House either? No, I never. I, I think I watched the first episode and I never oh, finished it. Dude, Hill House is very good. Um, Bly Manor, I switched off halfway. So I think what I should do is rewatch Bly Manor now because I should give that another chance. I think you should watch Hill, Horn of Hill. I think you're going to friggin' love it, dude, because like, if you like, I don't think it's as good as this, but I feel like you'll see a lot of like the genesis of how he got to this in that, like, and it's still very good. Like, don't get me wrong. It's still really, really good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you should. Yeah. Like, um, I, I would like, what's interesting. I was thinking about this is if we hadn't, if we've got a ton of movies, it's almost like we've got too much, too many movies to like, to deal with right now coming out for the show but like part of me was like it would have been theoretically it would have been nice to do like an episode per ep- an episode of our show per episode of midnight mass because yeah. there's that much going on that you could break it down easily like you could easily break this down episode by episode oh yeah and talk about because there's just so much stuff like i know tomorrow when i see you i'll be like oh i should have talked about this i should have mentioned <laughs> this but obviously we're both fresh on it you know so yeah. like um yeah Cause it's yeah, I mean, I like the I like the horror aspects of it. I I really like the the use of the like. You know what I was thinking too was kind of kind of weird. Huh. Couldn't they have just like there's they, there was a way they could have avoided the sun, like like at the end of the movie. Like you didn't have to stand up. Like you could have just found some wood that wasn't burnt and like kind of stacked together like a little shelf and then just went under the shelf in the shade. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I know that's, yeah. I don't like doing that to shows and be too literal about it and like be like, well, actually you could have got away with it, but like, I don't know. But anyway, well, it, I, it was I, more, I think, more I think if they had more time, like, like Bev had the right idea, if they, if she got a group together of them and just started digging, like, I think some of them could have made it if they got down deep enough, mm-hmm. but they would have had to stay there forever because uh, until someone came to that Island, I mean, all the, all the boats were burned there's someone would have had to show up there basically. Um, yeah. They would have fu- had, you would have had to like call in a, if her plan was to get back on the mainland and start spreading this, yeah. like spreading the gospel, as she says, yeah. um, they could have got like a rescue helicopter in on the at nighttime and then went across there. But yeah, the minute you're like all better off, like they kind of screwed themselves there. Really? <laughs> they really screwed themselves by burning down the village. Like what was yeah. the hurry? They could have just like got up the next day and then finished the rest of them. Like, I don't, I don't no, know. It, was, it was that kind of religious fervor that just took over. Well, totally, but, yeah. Yeah, it's just batshit yeah. crazy. Do you um, think? Do you think the yeah, monster made it across or no? No, but I thought that was pretty good symbolically too. Who like clipping his wings? Just yeah. like she told that story about you know like, um, I thought that it was a bit weird. It was a bit like a bit like. I don't know. It was kind of weird how he kept seeing a cut in it, and it wasn't just. I got the I got the idea after one or two cuts. Yeah, like I felt like it showed you a cut like twenty times that it was wings. <laughs> which I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah. Um but like I got the I got the I got what we were trying to say, but like no, I don't think so. And I think that was what was kind of cool about her doing that. Um, and it the monster didn't bother me either. Like the CGI, obviously, there's limitations. There's there's parts where like 
the monster was done really well, but there was other parts where I was like, oh, it's CGI, but like, I give it a pass because like, oh, I felt totally. less, yeah, I felt like, obviously, the, like the accelerant or like the gas that this movie's running on is the, or like the Kickstarter is this vampire that he brings back. Um, and like, miss like, because he obviously thinks it's like an angel, he mistakes angel, which is kind of cool too, I think. But like, um, it's almost like it doesn't matter after a while because you get so caught up in their shit that like, yeah, there's two stories happening. There's the story of like these interpersonal relationships and these conflicts that these people have in, and then there's this crazy shit that's happening in the background, and they're both kind of running concurrently. So like, you can like you you get less worried about like the action and the and the, the horror of it because you're so invested in the actual depth of it so it's it's kind of nice they play out in parallel you know oh yeah 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 Yeah, which i thought was cool but yeah i thought it was shot beautifully like some good good shots at the end of the movie specifically where you see like the haze of like the fires burning on the skyline and oh uh, yeah there's some there's some some nice photography yeah yeah nice visuals and the music too dude like the the soundtrack how it just has that those like string jabs where it's like <laughs> like and like it's very like um that's very atmospheric very well done too i thought it wasn't yeah. like the some of the religious some of the like the the music like i don't know if it was like neil diamond singing like christian songs or whatever it was but like some of the music was a little full-on but that's only because like i don't really like listening to hymns too much yeah yeah but, um, i guess that's the point of it though really so yeah. if if you um, if you don't have anything to watch or any movies to see uh, this week, definitely try and oh hell catch, yeah catch Midnight Mass. Yeah, I recommend it to all of our <coughs> listeners. Oh, even yeah. if it's something, even if you don't like horror movies, I'd recommend it. Like I'd recommend it to you, even if I knew you'd hate it, just so you'd give it a try. So like, <laughs> if I yeah. knew somebody who I knew would hate the show, I'd still recommend they watch it because like um. Like if you stick with it and you and you you let it you let it work on you, it this might this might not like this could easily just not work for some people though. I could see some people watching this being like, oh, it was all right, it was a bit goofy. That vampire was a bit goofy. Like, yeah, it, I think it's gonna connect with you or it's just not. And um, but it's worth a try for sure. Like, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, oh yeah, it was a joy oh, yeah. talking about it too. Um, so I, let's wrap it up for Midnight Mass. Yeah, yeah. Give yourself um, a big pat on the back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> first television show, good for us. Hmm. Um. So, luckily for anyone who's listening, we know what we're gonna go see this weekend, and um, I think we're both trying to mentally prepare ourselves for it. Um, so this week we're gonna go see uh, the winner of uh, Cannes this year, which was Titan. And we, oh, we got God. a screen of it here, so we weren't 100% sure uh, if it was going to play at the theater we go to, but it is. So um, that's what we're watching this week. So you got a heads up to, so if you can go watch yeah. it and then come back and listen. Yeah, I've got a feeling this is going to be a doozy. Um, <laughs> this this uh, this is housekeeping, and I know this is like, we'll do it, we'll do it on any, anyway, but like, it may be worth if we could pull it off with Titan recording it after we see it. Um, because if it, if it is like what I think it's going to be like, it might be one of those ones where we're like, just, you know what I mean? 
I, I don't know. We'll play it by ear. We might try something different for it because the dude, the I don't know if any of our listeners, any of you guys listening at home, have uh, followed anything about this movie. But like, I'm try- I haven't read any reviews, so I'm just seeing like sound bites, or, like Twitter, Twitter captions or whatever from people like who've seen it. Yeah, the way people are talking about this movie, dude. People are talking about like evangelical. <laughs> evangelizing about this movie so i don't know what to expect i i I don't don't know if i should be nervous i actually kind of feel nervous because i hear it's super fucked up so like (laughs) um i'm like i'm like should i be nervous going into this but then i don't know it's gonna be it's gonna be cool i hope it's not disappointing i hope we don't come out and we'll be like well you know what i mean yeah what was all the fuss about yeah what was all the fuss exactly exactly so that'll be next week on um, Movies Last Night, your number one movie slash Netflix original podcast <laughs> series. <laughs> um, any recommendations before we go, Eric? No, I only watched that Midnight Mass this week. That is it. Yeah, I haven't got anything. I, I'm keeping up to date with Only Murders in the Building. I finished Ted Lasso, um, but none of which I really need to talk about right right now. So... Mm-hmm. My only recommendation is that you watch Midnight Mass. And uh, thanks, Eric. Once again, super fun episode. I am choking for a cigarette, which I'm going to regret saying that. I might edit that out of the podcast, but I'm going to go smoke. (laughs) All right. We'll talk to you later.